you know, there's a 10% chance, a 20%, 30% chance, reasonable people can disagree about Nikki Haley's chances at any given time. But if you think it's going to save the country, sure, that's worth five or 10 million bucks, especially for people who are worth five or 10 billion. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, February 1st. Today, I'm joined by Teddy Schleifer to talk about the big GOP donors who are continuing to fund Nikki Haley, even as she faces almost impossible odds against Donald Trump in the Republican presidential race. Why are so many smart billionaires continuing to cut checks for what looks like a losing cause? And will those donors put their money behind an independent, no-labels candidate in the general election, or just fall in line behind Trump? We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the month of February, which in the Republican presidential race that is still happening, despite the uh, narrative that Trump is cruising to victory, a narrative I tend to believe in, uh, there are some donors out there who still think that Nikki Haley has a shot, or at least they're willing to pony up and give her some more money to keep this fight going through the South Carolina primary later this month and possibly through Super Tuesday next month. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, America's foremost expert in the whims and impulses of big political donors. Teddy, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. It's good to hear you. Am I crazy here? Why Why are these rich guys and some rich women uh, ponying up money for Nikki Haley now? I mean, what is the path to victory <laughs> in their minds? for Haley against Donald Trump, who in my mind at least, uh, and also some of the early exit polls and entrance polls, just has complete ownership of the Republican primary electorate. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these rich people, for the first time this entire cycle, know something about politics that I don't. But what are you hearing? Peter, it's not as much a belief that um, you're wrong and that they're right, as much as it is, I think, two things. One, a, a desire to be in the game. You know, I think that this politics, as we talked about on the podcast here before, you're either you're in or you're out. And that's sort of um, if, you, if you do not want to support Trump right off the bat, um, I think there's a desire to kind of be proximate to power uh, and, you know, in the game to some extent. The other idea, which I want to float your way mm-hmm. uh, to hear what you think, was expressed by, by Cliff Asnes, who's kind of this uh, hedge fund uh, billionaire, had a fundraiser for Nikki Haley last night or, or when we we're recording this last night. Um, and has been very involved with her campaign. Cliff Asnes was asked this question on Twitter recently by, you know, some random egghead, um, you know, what are you doing supporting Nikki Haley? And he described it as akin to venture capital. He said that, you know, he thought that it was probably a waste of money. You know, he conceded that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he acknowledged that, you know, Nikki Haley's probably not going to be the next president of the United States. But what he said is that, there is a non-zero small chance that it saves the country. And if you believe that, um, you know, in, in venture capital, like most bets fail, um, but the ones that do pay off huge. And the, the venture capital bet here is that, you know, Trump, you know, there's a 10% chance, a 20%, 30% chance, reasonable people can disagree about Nikki Haley's chances at mm-hmm. any given time. 
But if you think it's going to save the country, sure, that's worth five or ten million bucks, especially for people who are worth five or ten billion. Yeah, and look, there are some open and semi-open primaries coming up. South Carolina right. is, I would say, semi-open. There's no party registration in South Carolina, so unless you've voted in a past Democratic primary, you can show up and vote in that primary. Michigan is another example. On Super Tuesday, more examples. This money could lead to Nikki Haley collecting a bunch of delegates here and there. And so if you're talking about that 10 to 15% chance of something breaking her way down the road, you know, maybe Trump gets convicted <laughs> before uh, the election and people panic and Maybe Nikki Haley is sitting there as a backup. Again, I don't think the grassroots of the Republican Party, the people who make up the state delegations to the Republican convention are going to change their minds about nominating Donald Trump. But okay, that at least explains their thinking. I appreciate that. So you you wrote about this earlier this week, the Four Seasons Palm Beach. (laughs) I think I, I went there in 2014, maybe for some RGA meeting. Very nice resort. That hotel played host to a bunch of these wealthy Republican donors uh, on Tuesday, uh, a bunch of campaign officials and billionaires and billionaires guys showed up to hear presentations from Betsy Ankney, who's Nikki Haley's campaign manager, uh, but also Susie Wiles, who's running Trump's campaign uh, and is stationed just a few miles away from Palm Beach, obviously, uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, they both presented to donors about Uh, the state of the campaign. Look, the fact that the Trump campaign felt like they needed to show up to this at least means or suggests that they still think they haven't completely put this away. I mean, the Trump campaign even put out a big memo uh, on Tuesday byline by Chris Lasavita, their senior strategist, about why Nikki Haley has no path to the nomination. They want this to be done and it's not completely done. So they showed up to present to these donors. What did you hear about what they told some of these billionaires about why they should be giving money to these respective campaigns. You're totally right. The the fact that Susie Wiles was invited, I thought, was the most interesting part of this entire conference. Um, This is the American Opportunity Alliance, which is a group of Wall Street-friendly, socially moderate, globalists, um, to to use uh, a term that (laughs) that probably appeared, appeared in that memo. And here comes Susie Wiles, I was more fascinated by the fact that she was invited than by the fact that she attended. Um, You know, the AOA, as it's sort of known in Republican money circles, meets twice a year. They met most recently in Dallas in October, November-ish. And the Trump campaign was not invited. And that was not surprising. They invited DeSantis, Scott, Haley, people like that who are, you know, fellow uh, shades of globalist, uh, and um, they were they were welcomed with open arms, and they debated, you know, how they could beat Trump, so to speak. And now, flash forward six months later for the winter meeting, and they have no choice but to invite Trump. There are two choices left. You know, I guess they could have only invited Haley. That was something I, I, I thought about um, and was sort of reporting out last week. And then uh, the fact that you know they invite Mar-a-Lago to you know the Mar-a-Lago people to come a couple miles down the road reflects two things. It reflects you know, the fact that Republican donors have been wrong this entire campaign. And um, <laughs> now they're sort of bending the knee to, to Trump and bending the knee by inviting Susie. And, you know, regardless of whether or not they think that Trump should be the nominee, like they they know that he's very well likely to be. And you might as well have, you know, be pissing in the tent and then outside of it. Point two, though, is if you're the Trump campaign and you're Susie, you know, I, I've been reporting and we've talked about this in the podcast before, Peter, there's this intense effort to get these people 
who are anti-Trump to their core, but you know can also recognize that they're wrong and they've lost. Um, they want them in the fold. And Susie is showing up not because Trump needs the money today to beat Nikki Haley, but because they want to make sure that they're funding the Republican nominee. And it's sort of like when, when he's up against Joe Biden. So it's almost a, a general election posture. You know, you, you extend the olive branch to your enemies and you show up at their stupid Palm Beach resort to, you know, say a nice thing about Paul Singer. Fine, we'll send Susie, we'll do it. It's kind of, you know, political relationship tending. Um, so I thought it was fascinating that she was invited and that she chose to show up. Two entities that have been supportive of Nikki Haley, I'm curious your opinion on, or at least the state of play. Uh, one is Americans for Prosperity and you know their benefactor, uh, Charles Koch, billionaire. Um, they went in for uh, Nikki Haley last fall uh, and said she was the horse. They were, you know, DeSantis was toast. We're sticking with Nikki. I'm curious where their head is at, their heads are at, and where their money is going. And also some of your reporting on hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin, who you know runs Citadel. He, uh, according to your reporting, was in Miami this week uh, at another rich person conference talking about how he uh, has supported Haley. You reported he made a $5 million contribution to her super PAC. Are they going to keep ponying up or are they hitting the brakes with Haley? Yeah, so so uh, kind of coincidentally, both Coke and AOA, two of kind of the biggest Republican you know billionaires clubs, uh, both met over the last couple of days. Coke met in Palm Springs, California, a couple of days ago over the weekend. AOA was in Palm Beach, and you know similar kind of you know junkets for for donors and tote bags and the whole shebang. But in Palm Springs, where Coke was, I mean that is explicitly a pro Haley organization. Mm-hmm. AOA might be kind of pro-Haley in some ways. Coke is, is, you know, explicitly trying to whip for Nikki Haley. And there's there's a fair bit of second guessing or finger pointing or, or consternation or choose your term inside the Coke network kind of broadly about what, the, you know, the decision to kind of invest so strongly in Haley. You know, the Coke's point is that they believe that Trump is a disaster for the bottom of the ticket. And they are very concerned about a Democratic trifecta. They believe that if Trump is the nominee, that Democrats will win the House and the Senate. And then, you know, you can kiss all those tax cuts goodbye, which at this point, that is a, you know, they, they say that's based on their internal polling. But mm-hmm. the Koch's opinion is, is about Trump is certainly a contrarian opinion in Republican donor politics right now. Trump is competitive, obviously. You know, Democrats would say too competitive in, in national election polling. And the idea that Trump is going to be a disaster uh, for the rest of the ticket was, of course, set in 2016 when, you know, the Kochs did not really oppose him that strongly. And this time around, they're again kind of on the wrong side of, the, of kind of public opinion in their party, where Koch believes, based on their internal polls, that Trump's a disaster. So betting on Haley again and again and again is sort of an attempt to protect the House and the Senate from Democratic rule. Obviously, Nikki Haley is not likely to be the nominee. Koch knows that at this point. They told donors uh, who were in Palm Springs over the weekend that they're going to be focusing more and more down ballot. We'll see. They're still they're still spending for her in South Carolina. They're still organizing for her in Super Tuesday states. But um, you know, they're they're very concerned about a Democratic wipeout. Um, so I would expect Koch to spend their money on on their favorite you know freedom loving uh, Senate candidates across the country. When we're talking about the Trump versus Haley rematch, I should say Quinnipiac dropped a poll yesterday. Uh, this is a national poll. You know, it's not South Carolina. It's not 
the, any of these Super Tuesday states, but you know, it might as well be when it comes to Super Tuesday. Trump, 77, Nikki Haley, 21 among Republicans. So, I mean, he is cruising in terms of public opinion with Republicans. Uh, and then also on the, the Koch theory of the case, they've always cared about down-ballot races. I mean, they were, America's for Prosperity was key in flipping state houses back, in, you know, in, in the Obama years and, and obviously getting uh, Republicans elected to Congress. Um, they don't just care about the top of the ticket. So I can see their concern. The question of whether Trump is an asset or a liability for Republicans, it's pretty mixed, actually. I mean, I think the White House thinks and believes that he is a liability based on 2022 midterms and how Republicans came up short uh, when they were running on Trumpism. But when Trump is on the ballot, it's a different question. I mean, think about 2018. Um, you know, that was a Democratic wave election. Dems took the House back. Republicans held the Senate that year. When Trump is on the ballot, his people show up to vote. And so, you know, that could maybe help Republicans down ballot. Uh, but at the same time, Obviously, Trump's brand of politics has proven itself toxic in many other elections. So that theory will be put to the test this year, for sure. I do want to talk to you more about the general election, Teddy, after the break. Welcome back to The Powers of Be, everybody. I'm talking to Teddy Schleifer about big GOP donors and their thinking about the 2024 election. Teddy, before the break, I mentioned Ken Griffin giving a speech down in Miami earlier this week, and you know, he had a lot of thoughts. He has been supporting Nikki Haley. Um, did he have a perspective on the general election? You know, if Nikki Haley's not the nominee, if it is, as everyone expects, a rematch between Joe Biden and Donald Trump? Sure. So, so Griffin, who um, is certainly one of the most uh, listened to uh, donors in the Republican Party. I don't know if he's really emblematic of, of all of them, but mm -hmm. he's one of the founders of AOA. Um, you know, he's been involved with Coke over the years. Like, he's somebody who uh, commands attention. Griffin was asked, you know, why, you know, why have you supported Nikki Haley? And he said, you know, she's great. Or, you know, her poise, her foreign policy experience, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, then, and then at the end, it's like, well, she doesn't really have a path to be president of the United States doesn't really have a path to being the Republican nominee. And then it's just like, you know, the big fart at the end of the speech, which like, you know, basically acknowledges <laughs> reality and, and makes you realize that nothing that Ken said over the last couple of minutes really mattered um, because he, he knows that she's not likely to be the nominee. And it was interesting. I mean, you know, Ken basically was then asked, like in a Trump versus Biden election, what do you do? And, and I was hearing that I was watching this as it was happening live. I was not there, but I was, you know, watching it on CNBC. And um, Griffin says, you know, 70% of Americans don't want Trump versus Biden, and I'm in that 70%. And the difference, though, is that the other 70% don't have millions of dollars to spend on presidential politics or not. And so Ken basically said that he would be spending all of his money down ballot and that he would focus on people like David McCormick, kind of another hedge fund CEO, like attracts like. And that is where I think lots of Republican donors will end up, which is not necessarily spending, you know, in, you know, on, on anti-Trump things or supporting Joe Biden or any kind of anything crazy like that. Mm -hmm. I just think that there will be desire to spend money on other political projects that have nothing to do with the presidential race, um, a la 2016. And um, I think that the Trump campaign, it, they're not going to be struggling for money. I do feel that there's you know, not, you know, enough 
Ike Perlmutter's or Steve Wins or Phil Ruffins out there that, you know, who have a super PAC with some dough. You know, obviously Trump has a small dollar fountain of cash that when it's not being spent on his legal bills can, you know, pay staff in Nevada or wherever. But I think your average Republican donor, at least your average establishment Republican donor, is going to be in the Ken Griffin camp and is going to be, you know, focused on electing hedge fund CEOs to the U.S. Senate and not on Donald Trump back to the White House. <laughs> Listen up, David McCormick. They have your back. One more thing, Teddy, before you go. No labels is obviously a big source of anxiety for the White House and Democrats. They think they would you know, spoil the election for Joe Biden. Would any of these pro-Haley Republican donors turn around, do you think, and try to get Haley to run as an independent no-labels candidate? Uh, you know, would they, even if she wasn't running, steer money toward that project? Or are these just tried and true Republicans down the line? And, you know, at the end of the day, their, you know, their bank accounts and their, their you know, money market accounts would be fine with Donald Trump in the White House. I, I do think, you know, no-labels is going to be, uh, you know, their success depends uh, on it being a Trump versus Biden rematch. And, um, you know, they will have plenty of cash uh, at their disposal. They recently started a super PAC a couple weeks ago um, that's basically being set up in advance to collect money to try to make sure that if Ken Griffin wants to, you know, wire some wire some dough, he knows where to find them. I, look, I mean, I, I think that the, the if there is a moderate Republican that is put up as the no-labels candidate, which is, you know, not a foregone conclusion, you know, people it's possible it's a moderate Democrat or they try to get somebody who's, you know, from entirely outside the political system. I do feel like, you know, they're going to have they're not the candidate's not going to lose because of money and, and money is going to be essential because, they, uh, you know, no label is going to have a ton of structural disadvantages right off the bat, you know, in terms of getting people to get rid of their partisan tendencies that have been honed in over decades or, you know, passed down from their families to get a candidate or any third party for any third party candidate to actually get 30, 40% in some of these states and be at risk of, of winning a state or, or, you know, who knows, um, is going to require hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, in spending. And that's not coming from the grassroots. Like, you know, I, I do not yeah, think yeah. that uh, no labels will be a uh, grassroots led movement that, you know, takes the country by storm. I think it'll be a grass tops led movement that, you know, taps into the 70% of people who feel this way. Long winded answer. But look, I, yes, they yes is the answer. I do believe that lots of uh, moderate Republicans that want to play in the presidential race, if they get the right candidate, um, I don't think it'll be someone like Nikki Haley. But you know, if they get some more, more someone like David McCormick, more somebody who lives like coming from the business world, who mm-hmm. is you know hopefully more famous than David McCormick, but I could see that person raising a good amount of money from these people. I also would not undersell the amount of kind of conservative uh, money that could flow to someone like RFK. I know that sounds crazy, but um, there there is a type of business leader who finds him compelling. Um, and, uh, you know, if you are believe that Trump and Biden are burning down the house, we need to bring in someone new, someone who under- comes from a different angle on all of these problems. Um, I wouldn't undersell the uh, conservative billionaire fascination with, with a Kennedy. Oh, boy. Teddy, thanks so much for your reporting on this stuff. As always, you are the absolute dominant beast on this beat. I love it. Thanks, man. You bet. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. 
It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.